I uh, came across a story this week, a theologian, his name is Bruce Waltke. He's one of those guys that writes commentaries and teaches in seminaries. He had an interesting story about his cat that caught a wren, a small bird. And uh, he noticed that the, the cat, while the bird was in this, his cat's clutches, that the bird had broken its wing, clearly in pain, clearly scared for its life. He says, uh, Bruce Waltke reached down there, grabbed the bird and to save its life, but the bird was actually fighting against him, right? Flailing about in his hands, just clearly in pain, clearly in fear, and, and, and not really knowing what to do with his rescuer's hands. He said, contrasting that with just a couple of days later, I had to take, he said he had to take his daughter to uh, the doctor's office. She had strep throat, which was going to require a shot. And when the nurse pulls out the syringe and the big needle, she's crying, no daddy, no daddy, no daddy, but all the while grabbing his neck. And his contrast was, do we handle pain like the bird flailing around in its rescuer's hands, or do we grab onto a father's neck? I thought that was pretty good contrast, wasn't it? Because we all go through pain. We're all going through some sort of hurt. I'm going to use the word wound this morning. And we're all wounded. And I guess the question is, is what do we do in that? Do, do, we, do we flail about and, and, and not recognize the rescuer's hand? Or do we grip on to the father, even if we're saying, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. But we know where to cling to. What do you do? Where do you go? Where are you currently going if you're in the throes of it? Today, as we look at that, I've been saying it every time I've preached to Joseph. I said that character is formed when we overcome obstacles in life. And the obstacle we're going to talk about today is pain, woundedness. And we're not going to talk about it from Joseph's life because Joseph's going to take a back seat. Matter of fact, his name isn't even mentioned in this section. We're going to talk about Jacob. We haven't seen Jacob really for 20 years in this story. But Jacob is a wounded man. He's a wounded man. I'm going to try to show you that here in just a minute. Let me define wound for you, for those of you who might be wondering what I mean. This is, this is what I'm talking about. When I think about a wound, I'm talking about any unresolved issue where a lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and the dynamics of your life right now. I'm talking about any unresolved issue 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two days ago, where it has not found closure and because it wasn't dealt with, maybe it was swept under the rug, maybe we, we just decided to quit talking about it, whatever it is, because it's not been dealt with, it is adversely impacting us. And it is shaping the direction we're headed and the dynamics of our life. And not only that, it could be causing pain not just for us, but for others. So what do we do? How do we handle it? How did Jacob handle it? We find ourselves in Genesis 42, but I'm actually going to rewind the clock quite a bit. And I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis 25. I say that every Sunday, open your Bible part. I really would like for you to do it today. So there are books, all there's Bibles scattered across the seats. I encourage you to get one. You are gonna, you're not going to want to take my word for this. 
you are going to want to see it in the text. If you've got a device with the app on it that's got Bibles on it, just grab it out. Genesis 25. I want to walk through this with you. I want you to see it instead of just taking my word for it. It's going to be up on the screen too, but it's just better when it jumps off your page in front of you. Let's start in Genesis 25. And we're going to read in verse 26, the first wound that I think that Jacob has is he's born a twin. Jacob and Esau, those of you who are familiar with the Bible probably know that. And we know that in verse 26, it says, after this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel. That's Jacob. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Verse 27. And when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. And here's where I want you to see. Isaac loved Esau. His dad loved Esau. Because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebecca, his mother, loved Jacob. Can you imagine the woundedness you would have to be a twin? And your dad loves the other son more than you. Maybe a father wound that's never been dealt with. And I would make a strong argument that it hasn't been dealt with because Jacob is going to show that same favoritism to two of his sons, isn't he? First to Joseph and then to Benjamin. Imagine growing up like that. Then not only that, but just a few pages later, we see that Jacob is going to try to swindle his brother Esau out of the blessing. And not only does he try, but with the help of his mom, he actually tricks his blind, old, dying dad to give him the blessing. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 27, just a few pages over. Verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, quotes, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Can you imagine the woundedness from that to, to, to leave a home that he's fixing to have to leave because he tricked his dad. He, his dad didn't love him as much as he loved his brother. And now his brother and him are in so much conflict that one of Esau's willing to kill him. Right? Then you move on and he's got to leave the house. Matter of fact, Rebecca says in verse 40, uh, 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 yeah, verse 46, he says, I need you to get out of here. I need you to leave. Go find a woman. You know how that works. He goes to a guy named Laban's house. He sees the woman of his dream, Rachel. But Laban swindles him and says, you have to work seven years for her only to find out on his wedding night he doesn't get to marry Rachel. He has to marry the older sister who's not quite as good looking, the scripture says, Leah. And then after seven more years, he's got to marry, he gets to marry Rachel. Can you imagine the woundedness and the pain from that? Is your father-in-law tricked you? You had to work 14 years. And then we're going to find out some more woundedness. Not only is he wounded by his dad, but now he and his father-in-law are going to have problems. They try to swindle each other. That's crazy, isn't it? In-law problems, right? Then he goes on and it says in Genesis chapter 30, the woman that he worked 14 years for, Rachel. Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children and she envied her sister. 
Give me sons or I will die, she says to Jacob. Can you imagine the woundedness and the pain and the hurt that the woman you love is unable to have a child? And some of us have experienced that pain and it's a real pain. I mean, this is just like one heartache after another, isn't it? And then we read earlier on in this that there's just this competition to have children between Rachel and Leah. And then they bring their servants and they get them involved in Bilhah and Zilpah. And that's how you end up with these 12 sons and the daughter Dinah, which we found out that chapter 34 of Genesis, his daughter, verses 1 through 3. Danah, Leah's daughter, whom she bore to Jacob, went out to see some of the young women of the area. When Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, the prince of the region, saw her, he took her and raped her. I mean, like, you can't make this up. How bad can it be for the guy? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, doesn't it? And then not only that, but... Two of his older boys, Simeon and Levi, they decide to go to Shechem and they decide to murder everyone in the town. Ransack it. And all of that gets us to chapter 37, where that's the last wound we see of Jacob. Remember when the ten brothers hated Joseph so much because Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. Who, by the way, Rachel dies in childbirth. To Benjamin. So now he's lost the woman he loves. And his sons hate this boy Joseph so much that they trick his dad into thinking Joseph died attacked by wild animals. And so for the next 20 years, Jacob's going to have to deal with all of those wounds. He's going to have to deal with them. Because we don't get him again until chapter 42. Jacob doesn't know that Joseph's been sold into slavery. Jacob doesn't know that that he's been seduced by Potiphar's wife. Jacob doesn't know that, that he's been thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife framed him. Jacob doesn't know that he's been forgotten in a prison cell because two guys wouldn't remember him. Jacob doesn't know that he got a shot in front of Pharaoh. Jacob doesn't know that he's now number two in command. All Jacob knows is that there's a famine, there's grain in Egypt, and I got to send my boys there, and they get there. And those guys have no idea that they were looking at Joseph. But he knows them. And he sends them home with grain. And he's going to test them. And we're going to come back to that idea of testing the, the brothers later. And when, he finally, when the guys finally get home, we see Jacob. So turn with me to chapter 42. And let's see what he does. Let's see what he's doing. Is he flailing around? Or is he gripping the father's neck? Start with me in verse 27. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his money there at the top of the bag. And he said to his brother, my money has returned. 
It's here in my bag and their hearts sank trembling. They turned to one another and said, what is this that God has done to us? They're on their way home. They think they just have grain, but Joseph actually put all their money back in the bag. He's testing them. They said they were honest. He's going to see if they're really honest. Will they fess up? Will they come back or will they take the silver and leave Simeon in prison? Remember, he was going to keep Simeon so that they would prove that Benjamin was alive. Verse 29, when they reached their father, Jacob, there it is in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. I want you to listen to these words in verse 30. I think they know they're talking to a wounded man. It's like they soften this thing for him. Just they know they're talking to a man who's seen a lot. And now they got to come home and say, Simeon's in prison. Have you ever had to do that with somebody? Like you're looking across the table and their life has been just a wreck. And now, you know, you're going to have to look at them and tell them more bad news. Have you ever had to have that conversation? Has anybody ever had it, have had to have it with you where it just was the worst time in your life. And then someone sits across the table and says, and oh, by the way, How do you think they went home? Probably a month's journey. I guarantee you they were like, how are we going to tell dad? How are we going to tell dad that Simeon's in prison? Can you imagine that? So when I start reading in verse 30, I want you to think about it. I think they're softening the blow here. I think they're trying to make this as palatable as possible for Jacob. Look at it. In quotes, this is what they say. The man who is the Lord of the country, spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. They don't start with Simeon's in prison. They don't start with any of that. They just say, this is how it went down. He accused us. But we told him, we're honest and we're not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of the same father. One is no longer living and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who is the Lord of the country said to us, This is how I will know if you are honest. Leave one brother with me. Take food. Relieve the hunger of your households and go. But bring back your youngest brother to me. And I will know that you are not spies but honest men. And then I'll give your brother back to you. And you can trade in the country. Do you see it? They could have just showed up and said, Oh man, dad, that guy was a jerk. And they put Simeon in prison. And we may never see him again. Did they do that? Set back and said, he gave us a way out. All we have to do, dad, is just show up with Benjamin and prove we're telling the truth. And we get everybody home and we get the grain. It's going to, like you can hear them nearly saying, it's going to be fine, dad. Can you hear it? It's going to be fine. Verse 35. Apparently, Jacob doesn't say anything at the moment. As they begin emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was a bag of money. And when they and their father saw their bags of money, they were afraid. And at this point, we couldn't soften the blow anymore. Because now they were supposed to pay for that grain. And instead of paying for the grain, they've got the grain and their money. And so now they look like thieves. What are they going to do? 
and these guys are scared, and now Joseph, I mean, Jacob is scared. They're all trembling and like, oh, man. Now, we, now it's going to be even harder to go back because now we got to look at Joseph, who they don't know is their brother, and say, oh, by the way, here's the money we were supposed to give you the last time. And finally, Jacob's going to speak. Are you ready? Verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my sons. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin? Everything happens to me. And if you're not careful, you read that and you're like, yeah, it does. Man, one more blow, one more bad news, one more wound, one more hurt. But I want you to listen to it. Everything happens to me. Let me tell you what happens with wounds and hurts and pain. If they go unresolved and undealt with and not handled correctly, all of a sudden those wounds begin to define the way we look at life. And we look at life a lot like a victim. Woe is me. 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 Everyone's out to get me. Everyone's here to hurt me. Everything bad happens to me. And completely unable to see anything else. And if you're listening just just careful enough, you can almost hear a tinge of wine. Can't you? You ever heard whining in your house? Ryan Maloney, he's our pastor at Rocky Creek. He says this this week. When his kids come to him in that high-pitched squeal voice, he says, whoa, 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 I don't understand whinies. <laughs> it's great, right? My house, we say, whoa, whoa, you need to call the wambulance on that, right? Because you can wham somewhere else. Or in my in-law's house, complain about how things are going with a game or something. They say, oh, you want some cheese with that wine, right? You might sit back and say, whoa, Russell, that's a bit harsh for a guy who's been as wounded as Jacob has for you to call him a whiner. And I'll take that. But there's been somebody else in this story who's been just as wounded, and those words have never come out of their mouth. Have you ever recalled Joseph saying, This just happens to me. Do you recall Joseph ever saying that in the last six sermons? Well, it only happens to me. It only happens to me that I'm thrown in prison. It only happens to me that my brothers hate me. It only happens to me that they lied to dad. It only happens to me that this woman framed me. It only happens to me. Have you heard that at all? I haven't heard it. And so for me, I look at it and a part of me wants to be absolutely just compassionate and empathetic with Jacob because of all the wounds of his life. But then you sit back and you realize some of these wounds have been self-inflicted. And maybe it's not that everything happens to you, but maybe you got yourself in a lot of this mess. Right? Because everything happens to me, me, me. Let me tell you what happens next. 
The next thing that happens is, same verse. You have deprived me of my sons. Joseph is gone and Simeon gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Keep reading verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. Reuben trying to go over the top, the firstborn. Man, I'm glad he's standing up here, but this is over the top. Like, let me tell you, what you're going to do is you're going to kill your two grandsons if I don't bring them back. Like, that's irrational, isn't it? Irrational. Verse 38, Jacob answered, my son will not go down with you for his brother is dead and he alone is left. Benjamin, if anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. Let me tell you, when you start seeing it as me, 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 and you're the victim, you want to know what the next step is? You start blaming everyone else for your problems. It's everyone else's fault. It's the son's fault. It's the famine's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my coworker's fault. It's everyone else's fault because I'm a victim. Can you imagine looking at the sons and saying, you've done this to me? Here's the hardest part about pain and hurt and conflict. Hardest part is saying, what did I bring to it? What did I do? What could I have changed? And sometimes there's nothing. Sometimes there's plenty. For Jacob here, he brought plenty to it. He keeps going. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine in the land was severe. And when they had used up the grain that they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us some food. So Jacob looks at him and says, we're done. This is probably several months supply. It's like, we're just going to leave Simeon in jail. We're just going to leave Simeon in jail. What? But Judah said to him, The man, speaking of Joseph, specifically warned us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with us, we'll go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. Judah, finally, he stands up. He says, enough is enough. Come on. This is what we got to do. And look at Jacob. You ready? Verse 6. There he is blaming again. Why did you cause me so much trouble? Why? You. You know we've been blaming people ever since Genesis 3. When God says in the garden, Adam, where are you? Who told you you could eat of that tree? What are you doing? He says, well, the woman you gave me. And then what did Eve say? The snake you put in this garden. It's just easy to blame everyone, isn't it? It's just easy to look out and say, man, I'm a victim. Woe is me. I'm just going to blame everybody instead of actually dealing with the issue. Dealing with it. He goes on. Look at what he asked. Verse 6. Why did you tell the man that you had another brother? Ready for the next step? You're wounded, you don't deal with it. 
You start to construct this world all around you and victimhood and me, 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 me. You blame others for your problems and then you use it as an excuse to sin. He basically said, you should have lied. You should have lied. No more pain. We don't need any more pain. Lie. We don't need any more pain. Come up with something else. And so the easiest thing for us to do is instead of deal with the issue, we just sin. And sometimes we sin to numb the pain. Sometimes we sin to avoid more pain. And whatever it is, we just sit back and say, I can't handle anymore. This is what I'm going to do. And typically when you say, I can't handle it anymore, this is what I'm going to do. It ends in sin. Just ends in sin. I can't handle it. So I'm going to numb the pain with fill in the blank. I want to avoid it. So I'm going to treat this person this way. Or lie, cheat, steal, gossip. You just sit back and say, it's not my fault. You make me do this. Just going back to the whining just for a minute. With five children, typically when that high-pitched squeal comes into the room and says, Mom, Dad. You want to know what the next word is? Someone else's name. (laughs) Milton. (laughs) Caleb. (laughs) Kenneth. That's what we do, isn't it? The next thing is just to whine, to blame, and then to excuse it. And we sit back and say, they did this to me, so I hit them. <laughs> they did this to me, so I... And it's so easy to see it in an eight-year-old, isn't it? Maybe the difference with our whine is it doesn't have that high-pitched squeal to it. And our sin is just a little more mature. What do you think? So what do you do? Everything I'm reading here, it looks like Jacob is the bird flailing right now, doesn't it? Looks like he's flailing. And the next thing that happens is you become bitter and hard And a very small life. That's what happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, he says, why did you tell the man you had a brother? You should have lied. Verse 7, they answered. The man kept asking us about our family. Is your father still alive? Do Do you have another brother? And we answered him accordingly. How could we know that he would say, bring your brother here? And all of us reading the story, we're like, he's asking that because Joseph wants to know. He's related to you guys. Verse 8. Then Judah said to his father Israel, send the boy with me. We will be on our way so that we may live and not die. Get your eyes off of you, dad. We need grain. Maybe quit thinking about Benjamin just for a minute. You know, there's 10 others of us in the family. We don't want to die. Nor you, nor our children, your grandchildren. 
I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will be guilty before you forever. If we had not wasted time, we could have come back twice by now. I love Jesus right now, right? Just for free, just for free. Those of you that know your Bible, remember the name Judah. Remember the name Judah. Because from 37 to 50, the hero is Joseph. But the chosen one will be Judah. And what a beautiful picture of a man who would say, I'll go get Benjamin. Put my life on the line to go get Benjamin. It's pretty good, isn't it? Verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Put some of your best products of the land in your packs and take them down to the man as a gift. Some balsam and some honey and aromatic gum and resin and pistachios and almonds. And take twice as much money with you. Return the money that was returned to you in the top of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. I'm telling you, something's clicked because Jacob's starting to sound really rational right now, isn't he? He's starting to sound really good right now, isn't he? And man, he's a gift-giving dude because he, he tried to buy Esau's favor. He tried to buy Laban's favor. He's now trying to buy this dude in Egypt's favor who just happens to be Joseph. And then he says this, take your brother also, Benjamin, the only child he's got left from Rachel, the woman he loves, and go back at once to the man. Look at verse 14. May God Almighty... First time we see Jacob mention God. It's a good one too. May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your other brother, Simeon, and Benjamin to you. And as for me, if I'm deprived of my sons, then I'm deprived. Something changes, doesn't it? Can you feel it? Something changes here. Something goes from this man who's flailing and trying to deal with his woundedness on his own. And some 20 years later, like Judah speaking truth to him, like something happens. This is what I was expecting. I was expecting what we see in Ruth. You don't have to turn there. Just let me read it to you. Ruth and her two daughters-in-law. Uh, or excuse me, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, all of them lose their husbands. And they're going to go back to Bethlehem. And Naomi says this in verse 11 of Ruth chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from marrying? She's looking at him and said, I got nothing to offer you. I can't have sons quick enough for you to remarry. Woe is me. And then she says, no, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you you to share because the Lord's hand is turned against me. Blame me wounded. And then look at what she does in verse 20. 
don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord, or for the Almighty, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. That's what I expected to see. I expected Jacob to throw this pity party and change his name to woe is me. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do it. If you go back over there to 43, I want to show you something that I think is maybe the reason why. May God Almighty. You've heard El Shaddai before. God Almighty. Where in the world did he get that from? He just pulled that out of thin air. He just come up with something off the top of his head to kind of like all of a sudden start trusting in God. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn back just a few chapters to chapter 35. God confirms twice to Jacob the promise. The first time is when he wrestled with Jacob, popped his hip out of socket. And when he did that, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. That happened several chapters ago. Look at what happens in Genesis 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Saul. Remember when you were scared for your life? I'm going to read verse 2. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. He wrestles with God and he still has Foreign idols in his house. What? What? Keep on reading. Look what God does. God is so merciful to him. Go down to verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again. After he returned from Padam Haram and he blessed him and God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Second time he's told him that. He named him Israel and God also said to him, do you see it? I am who? I am God Almighty. That's where he got it. And all of a sudden here, all of a sudden, it's like, I need to be trusting in that guy. I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you, and I will give the land to you that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your future descendants. Remember those promises? They are true. And maybe somewhere in the middle of all of it, while Judah's saying, Man up, Dad, something snaps, and he's like, Yeah, God Almighty. I just wonder if some of us in the throes of it, whatever it is, just need to sit back and say, I'm done flailing and I'm ready just to rest and say, God Almighty, I just want to grab you and it hurts, but God Almighty, I'm in pain, but God Almighty, not, not woe is me anymore. Not, I'm not blaming anyone anymore. I'm just going to come to you and say, God Almighty. And maybe in the next few moments when we sing, and it's a great song. It could not be more true of God. 
that you would just sit back and declare it and maybe just do this. And quit flailing. Just rest. And maybe you would come up here and say, the reason I can rest is because of what Jesus Christ did for me. His death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe that's what I'll do. Can I show you one more thing in the text that I think is pretty cool? One more thing. Got time? Flip over to verse chapter 42. Can't be positive. But I think it's pretty cool. Look at chapter 42, verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, and that's the verse where he starts whining. But in chapter 35, I thought his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? Now, can I show you something else? Go to chapter 43, verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, just wonder, just wonder if Moses is trying to say, you need to quit acting like Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, the whiner, and you need to start acting like Israel. Israel means contended with God. Which one do you want to be? You want to be Jacob or do you want to be Israel? You want to flail around in the arms of the rescuer and be called Jacob? Or do you want to say, God Almighty? And rest is Israel. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that same thing has happened to you. Old man, new man. Your name has been changed by the Father, God Almighty. And when you have pain, will you grab him? Or will you flail about? Can I pray for us? Oh, Lord, I, uh, man, I love you. I thank you for your word. I just, I think every one of us in the room could probably confess that there are times when we feel pain and hurt and wounds that we just sometimes sweep them under the rug or become victims and blame and whine and just become bitter. And Lord, that's the last thing you want from us. You want us to cling to you and to trust you and to deal with things and to seek restoration and not just flail about. So Lord, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who was wounded for us so that we could be whole, so that we could see restoration and healing, so that we could have new life and hope and joy to rescue us from bitterness and hate. So just right where you're at, would you just, if you hadn't done it in a while, do you, do you just need to say, God Almighty, 
Just take a deep breath and say it and trust him. Do you need to confess where you've just been kind of whiny, blaming, and excusing your sin for it? Lord, I pray that you would hear us. I pray that as we sing, that we could just rest in you. As we take communion, we could rest in your work. And you'd give us that. That's what I ask, Lord. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.